Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. We've been in a, in a series of messages that we have called Messed Up. And we've been talking about Paul's experience with the church in a, in a city called Corinth. And we started this a couple of weeks ago where we looked at Paul's experience in Acts chapter 18 and the stress he experienced in Corinth. And we called that message, Stress Messed Me Up. Last week, we, we looked at the first seven chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter that he wrote to that church, and we, we called that how conflict messed me up, and we figured if the stress didn't get you, the conflict would. Am I right? <laughs> like like it's, it's in there somewhere. And next week, we're going to look at, at, at the end of 1 Corinthians and the beginning of the book of 2 Corinthians, the second letter that he wrote. Next week's topic, and he writes about this a lot in the end of the first letter and at the beginning of the second. We're, we're going to talk about how death messed me up. And it's a really, I think, important topic for us. We've been encouraging you as a church to read with us through these letters that Paul wrote. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. We're just kind of reading a chapter a day. There's a guide that you can pick up at the hub or it's at the different information desks throughout the building that you can pick one of those up and join with us. And you might go, well, it's halfway through. It's probably too late for me to jump in. But we're just starting this week, 2 Corinthians. So it's a whole different book of the Bible. It's a whole different letter that Paul wrote. So you can jump in there. It's it's actually a perfect time for you to join us. So I hope you will read with us as we read through these these books. And, And one of the things that we found as we've gone through 1 Corinthians is we quickly realized that everything was not well in Corinth. This town that Paul's writing this letter to, the church that's there, I mean, it fits the definition we're talking about. There were some things there that were messed up in the church. And that's why today's message we're we're calling Church Messed Me Up. I've talked to several people this week, and I've asked them, when when I say that, church messed me up, what do you think of? And, And the phrase that I've heard from a lot of people is this phrase of church hurt. That there was somewhere that they were hurt in the church by a leader, by a congregation, by decisions that were made, by an experience they had. What's interesting is as you read through, especially this last half of the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the things that you see is that there is a lot of church hurt that is happening. There are things that are happening that are not healthy, they're not good for the church, and Paul's writing this letter really because he's trying to address unhealthy things that are happening in the church. And this didn't just happen 2,000 years ago. Church hurt frequently happens today. Like I often run into people, even out in public, who, who would say to me, well, I just, I just don't want anything to do with the church. I got hurt in a church at some point. Even beyond that, like, like on Sunday mornings, I do my very best when this service is done, in between the services, to kind of hustle out into the atrium because I love to be out there and, and greet folks and have the opportunity to meet. Maybe, maybe if you're new to Calvary, have a chance to meet you when we're out there. And so I try to be out there. And there's a lot of times when I hear a story from someone where they talk about things that happened to them either because of interaction with with other people or even within a church where someone has what we would call this church hurt. And they might say, yeah, church messed me up. And you see it in the tone in their voice, the stories that they tell, the look in their eyes. From time to time, I interact with people who have been so burnt by a church experience that you can almost smell the smoke on them. Now, if if you had a pain of some kind, I hope that you would go to a doctor. Not the I slept on it wrong kind of pain, but the there's something really wrong kind of pain. And you'd go to a doctor, and they'd kind of walk you through a two-step process, right? The first would be diagnosis. 
kind of look and go, okay, this is what's wrong. You have kidney stones. They'll pass. You have appendicitis. We got to remove it. You have an infection. We need to get you on some antibiotics. They, they would look at the source of the pain and then prescribe a treatment. We're going to kind of do the same thing today. We're going to walk through this. And I know that not everyone has had this church hurt. Not everyone has had an had a unhealthy church experience. But for many of us, that is the case. And so today we're going to look at two steps towards healing for those hurt by the church. We're going to look at two steps towards healing for those who have been hurt by the church. So let's jump right in. And we're going to see these are all things that Paul talks about in this letter, especially in these chapters 8 through 14 that we've looked at. The first thing, if you're going to take the first step, if you've been hurt by the church, number one is this, you have to acknowledge the hurt. Number one, you have to acknowledge the hurt. Bottom line is, the hurt is real. And people really being hurt by other people is not a new thing. I mean, churches have had issues all throughout history. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, when Paul's writing this letter, right near the very beginning, he says this, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. You hear what he's saying here? Right from the beginning, he's dealing with this. You've got issues going on, folks, and then they're not healthy, so we need to deal with them because Chloe's telling me that there's something messed up in the church, and as I've walked through this, I've noticed some, some things that are very consistent, some things that the stories that I hear from other people line up with some of the things that Paul is saying here in this passage of scripture, and they're the same sources of church hurt. So let's, I wanna take just a couple of moments, and if you're gonna acknowledge the hurt, maybe it's good for us to figure out where it's coming from. Let me show you just real quick six possible sources of church hurt. Where is it that this, this hurt, this pain, might be coming from. And we're not gonna have a chance to kind of read every one of these scriptures for the sake of time. If you're using the Bible app, they're, they're in there under the events part, you can find that. Or if you go to our website later this week when the sermon's posted, those notes will be there if you wanna look at more of those scriptures. But I wanna show you six possible sources of church hurt. Here's the first one, number one, it's what we would call legalism. Number one is legalism. You, uh, you read quite a bit in 1 Corinthians about this subject where, where Paul talks about meat sacrificed to idols. We talked about this a lot this last summer when we were in the trending series, and we looked at some of these passages. The bottom line is that in the, in the, in the idolatry of that day and time, part of their pagan sacrifice is that they would offer up meat, and then that meat would later be sold in the markets. And so the question was, if you're a Christian who no longer worships idols, should you eat this meat? And there were these rules that were floating around, and people were trying to figure out, should I do this, should I not do this? And look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. He says, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Paul's saying, look, at, at some point, it comes down to what's going on in your heart, not these rules and regulations. Have you ever noticed that people are good at putting out rules and regulations, setting standards that they want you to live by? And legalism hurts because people sometimes require more than God does. Legalism hurts because sometimes we're quick to require more than even God does. We go beyond what the scripture says. We start to build our own laws and to enforce standards on people that come from human thinking and not divine thinking. What that usually leads to is judgment and condemnation. That we judge other people. 
And some of you know what that's like, where you've been told that you're not good enough or that you don't measure up or that it's wrong the way you think or the way that you live. Maybe even taking another step, maybe for some of you, maybe there was a point in your life where you made some mistakes, some choices that you're not proud of. Maybe we'd even just call it sin. And you decided to make things right with God, but in the process of making things right with God, you thought maybe I should go back to church because hopefully church will be a place where I can get love and acceptance. And instead, all you got were dirty looks and rejection because there were these standards that people put out there that God didn't put out there, but that others put out there. These are very real things, and some of you have known pain because of that. If you've been reading with us through 1 Corinthians, there's a couple of interesting passages that we come across there. Like there's one passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that says it's not good for men to have long hair, that men should not have long hair. And all the bald guys said, right? (laughs) Then there's this other passage that kind of throws you off a little bit where it says, Women should be silent in church. This is a good point for no one to say amen, okay? Because some of you ladies, you're, just, you're actually a little ticked off at that. Like some of you probably read that and even said to yourself, sexism. I knew somewhere in this whole Christianity thing, there was this underlying male domineering spirit. And these are passages that are interesting because if we just read them, we miss out on the history and culture of what's going on there. Let's rewind to the part about men having long hair. That was a cultural standard of that day. And sometimes, do you know how when you you visit a different geography or maybe if you spend time with a different family, they do things in a different way than you do? Do you know what I mean? Like people have their own ways of doing things, that that was a part of the culture at that time, and they needed to be sensitive to the culture to be able to be effective in their ministry. That's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians 11, verse 16. He says, if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. He says, look, that's just how we do it. This long hair thing, it's just, it's just how we do it here. And then when you get down to the whole women not talking in church thing, that a woman should be silent, it's interesting because we we often misunderstand that or often even misuse that passage. Earlier in, in, in the book, Paul says something about women prophesying in a good way. So apparently he's okay with women talking in church, so why does he then say later women should be silent? Now here's, here's what we don't get culturally, is that 2,000 years ago in that culture, education was largely reserved for males and not females. So if something was said in church that a wife was not familiar with or didn't understand, and she started asking her husband questions in church, it would be disruptive in that church setting. So what Paul is saying, and apparently because it was an issue in Corinth, he's saying, look, don't have your conversations about this, asking your husband questions in the middle of the church service. Do it when you get home. See, his issue here was not gender, it was disorder. And he was saying we need to be careful that there's not disruptions in church. It wasn't a sexist statement. Do you you understand that? Do you get that? Some of the men said yes. The women are still mad. But the point is, this isn't a woman thing. It's an order thing. But when we take it out of context and we just slap it out there as rules, it becomes things that we like and that we try to control. And at some point, it becomes legalism. That makes sense, right? Okay, so that's one source. Here's a second source. Let's blaze through these real quick. A second source of church hurt, number two, is selfishness. Sometimes we encounter other people with big egos or big agendas, 
that roll right over top of other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Some of us say, well, I can do whatever I want to do. I have that ability. I have that freedom. Maybe even I have that authority. And some of us, as a result of that, have been treated selfishly. Maybe it's left us wounded. People have done whatever they've wanted to, and it's left us confused. Selfishness hurts because one person's choices become a stumbling block to another. For some of you, that's been your experience, maybe even at the hands of other Christians. This one, if you carry it out to its next level, leads us to the third one. Number three is what I would call hypocrisy. And for many of us, that's, that's one that, 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 that trips us up, especially maybe some of you that aren't in this room, but maybe you're watching this online or you're watching this on TV and you hear this message and you're like, I've seen a lot of Christians who are hypocrites. We have a hard time sometimes reconciling how one person acts at church, but then how they're different when they're at work or they're different when they're at home or they're different when they're out in public. And you say, that just does not seem consistent to the point that it's easy for us, and especially a lot of us who have seen hypocritical people to have our guards up and just be watching for the time when somebody else is gonna fail and we're able to say, look, this thing's not even real, this Christianity thing, because these people aren't consistent. Hypocrisy hurts because people do not practice what they preach. Hypocrisy hurts because oftentimes people do not practice what they preach. I've, I've been asking people about this over the last week or so and saying, hey, okay, this message is gonna be church messed me up. When you hear that, what do you think? Like what comes to your mind? And I've heard this hypocrisy thing quite a bit, two, two different ways in particular. One is I see somebody act a certain way at church in a different way in another place. The one that I've heard that, that's been really hurtful, parents pay attention to this, is when people say, I saw my parents live one way at church and live a different way at home, and that messed me up. The other thing I've heard is, is about leaders, that when someone, maybe a, a pastor or a person in authority in a church, maybe was one way on a platform and was a different way in private or did things that just didn't seem to be consistent with what they said. We probably have all heard stories at some point of church leaders who have fallen prey to adultery or lying or stealing money from the church or substance abuse issues. These things kind of go on and on and on and they've turned out not to be everything that they said they were and that leaves people messed up. Here's a fourth source of church hurt and it's what I would call number four, disunity. Disunity. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, verse 17 of chapter 11, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Paul says, look, you're so divided that you're not helpful. Disunity hurts because divisions do more harm than good. And some of you have been in places where church politics and cliques and church fights and splits have become the defining factor within that, that religious community. And that's a painful thing. Here's a fifth one and a very real one. Number five is abuse. We've actually seen a lot of this in the news, unfortunately. And abuse hurts because someone becomes a victim. We, we've had these clergy abuse scandals some of it is sexual abuse. And there's far too many of these. 
These are issues that are not just the sin that's involved in the abuse, but then it's the cover-up and the failure to recognize how people have been hurt through this. Sometimes it's, it's sexual abuse. You, you may have seen stories outside or inside the church of physical abuse, emotional abuse. Sometimes, just to be honest, there's even, there's even points of spiritual abuse where somebody will try to have spiritual control over another person. They'll use scripture to try to control them. There will be decisions that are made for the benefit of one person and not the good of the congregation or the vision of the church, where people are being used to accomplish another person's purpose or treated with contempt or like you're just kind of a second-class minion. Some of you have known that pain. Some of you have known what it's been like to feel like in some way or another that you've been abused in a church setting. Can I tell you this? Because, because it's quick for, for some of us to hear, well, that's not really a big deal, or you just need to forget about it, or you just need to get over it. And the reality is, for many of us, if you've had that experience, that pain is real. It's important for us to acknowledge it. And on behalf of, of the church, I want to say that we are sorry that that was your experience because that is not God's best. That is not what God would have. That's not a representation of who God's church is. Here's what God wants the church to be like. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 24. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. We're supposed to be united as a body, protecting and caring for one another, not hurting one another. Here's a, here's a sixth, one last kind of source of church hurt, and it's what we'll just call disorder. Paul speaks a lot in uh, chapter 14 in particular of how the church should not be a place of chaos, but that it should be a place of order. And disorder hurts because it causes confusion and doubt. And, and some of us have seen that. Maybe as you, as you read through this, he talks about some dynamic spiritual gifts at work in the church. And for some of you, maybe you've been in like a hyper-spiritualized church environment that may be kind of exciting but actually isn't really healthy. Some of you, if you're unfamiliar with, with some of the things that Paul talks about in, in chapters 12 through 14, you might go, these sound like crazy charismatics. Anybody ever been to a church service and wondered, should I be here? Anybody? <laughs> I have. And for some of us, that, that hurts. It can wound us in a certain way. Sometimes in a, in a church, it's an excessive focus on money. Sometimes it's just poor leadership. Sometimes it's doctrinal deviations that border or go all the way to heresy. And that disorder hurts. If you had some kind of pain, I hope you'd go to a doctor. <laughs> and yet there's always some of us who go, yeah, it hurts, but I'm not gonna go to the doctor. You know somebody like that, right? <laughs> One of the services today, it was funny because I said that. I said, you always know people who should go to the doctor, but they won't go to the doctor. And I watched one husband go. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. If you can get help, get help, acknowledge that, do something about it. The reality is, though, for some of us, we do the same thing with the hurt in our lives, the pain in our lives that could be caused by a boss, an employer, by a family member, by a neighbor, by a friend, by somebody who betrayed us, or maybe even by the church. And when that hurt comes and it's real, at some point we have to acknowledge it. Look, I'm telling you, some of you have been told, get over it, it's not a big deal. And the reality is, your hurt is real. You've been wronged, you've been sinned against, 
You've, you've had an experience that has left you wounded in some way. I'm not going Oprah and Dr. Phil on you here. I'm just telling you the truth. It's just the reality of life. So what do you do if church messed you up? Two steps. Number one, start by acknowledging the hurt. Acknowledge the fact that it is real. And once you do that, then you can get to number two, which is choose healing. The second step that you need to take is to choose healing. You've got a choice to make. There's a couple of options that you can consider. If you're looking here and going, yeah, I've, I've got some hurt in my life, in any area of life, but especially in the church, I've got some hurt. Here's, here's the first thing. You can choose to hold a grudge. You can choose to hang on to that thing. You can choose to keep going back to that in your mind. You can choose to keep focusing on that thing. I've known people who have chosen to hold a grudge. You can choose to hold a grudge. I've known folks that whenever you talk to them, it comes back up. They talk about what so-and-so did to them, or they talk about what happened to them at this or that place. And look, I'm not being critical because I know that for some of you, that pain is very real, and sometimes you have to process it. Sometimes it's a part of your story. Sometimes you have to express it in some way to move past that thing. But if every time it comes up, there's a venom and there's a bitterness and there's a wounding that shows up in an unhealthy way, you may need to ask yourself the question, am I holding on to a grudge? Let's say you're, you're taking a walk in one of our metro parks and all of a sudden a rattlesnake comes in front of you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Give me an option here. What are you going to do? <laughs> Run. Okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get away from that thing because there's poison on the end of that thing. So you're going to steer clear. Some of you, your answer is, I'm going to run. Others of you, your answer is, I'm going to cut its head off. Right? That's your thought. Either way, it's good. Just deal with that thing in some way or another. But what does not make sense is for you to say, there's a rattlesnake. I'm going to grab it and hold it. Because if I hold it, then I know where it is. If I hold it, then I have control of it. If I grab hold of this snake, I can control it. And I know where it is then at that point. The reality is, though, you've got the poison then right in your hands. You're hanging on to the very thing that could hurt you. And the reality is, when that grudge comes in against that person, against that institution, against that family member, against that situation, at some point when you hold on to that poison, it just doesn't make sense. You need to let go of it instead of holding on to that grudge. Does that make sense? Like, this, this is... This is real stuff that we need to realize. At some point, we have to choose to forgive. Now, that's the story of one snake. Let me tell you the story of another snake. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul writes, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that, here's the other snake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Did you see the other snake there? It's Satan. And you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to hold on to that bitterness. He wants you to grab hold of that unforgiveness. He wants to fill the spaces in your life with that grudge. Because if that grudge takes up space in your life, then it blocks out the space that joy or peace or contentment or happiness or service or purpose could fill in. Holding a grudge means you lose and Satan wins because then his schemes have been accomplished. Look, at some point, even if you've been hurt in the church, you gotta let grow of that grudge. 
you have a choice to make. You can choose to hold on to a grudge, or you can also choose, and this is a choice a lot of people make if they've been hurt in the church. You can choose to stay away. For some of you, you you've been hurt in a church, and maybe you say, well, I'll go to church, but I'm not getting involved. I don't want them to know who I am. I want to slip in and slip out. I, I'm going I'm to take, but I'm not going to give because the last time I gave, I got hurt. Or for some of you, especially if you're watching online or you're watching on television, you're hearing this and you're going, well, yeah, I, I, I need to take in some of this, but I don't want to be anywhere near it because I want to stay away. Some of you feel about church the way I feel about a story that I read this week. They are in the process of, of building a ship that is an exact replica of, wait for it, the Titanic. They're going to they're gonna lay it out just like the old one. Now, it's got modern conveniences. It's got all the luxury of today. But the look of it, the way the rooms are designed, the whole bit, it's laid out like the Titanic. And you can buy a ticket, and you can go on the same voyage from Southampton to New York. They're going to do this same thing, and they're going to sail it around the world then and use it as this great kind of cool thing. And one part of me goes, that's kind of cool. The second part of me goes, no, thank you. I saw the movie, right? When they built this, when they built this theater in 1997, their, their, their deadline was to get this place open. They had, I heard, every carpet layer in Toledo in this place because they had to get it open in time for the opening night of Titanic. I know how the movie ends. I'll wait four days to see if this trip made it or not. But I'm not going. I'm staying away. I know the story. And some of you feel that way about church. Oh, no, I tried it. I didn't see the movie. I lived the movie. And I know how it ends. So I'm not going to put myself in that place. I'm going to stay away. And that's too easy for too many of us to do, especially when we talk about church. I just want you to know that when you do that, you miss out on God's best. Look, look at this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Look at what the author of Hebrews writes. He writes, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Do you see that? Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see what he said here? We are to meet together. And when we choose not to, we, we take something away. We rob ourselves of hope when we stay away from church. This is supposed to be the place where those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ build each other up and encourage one another, show love to one another, give each other hope, and we rob ourselves of hope when we stay away from church. So you have a choice to make. You can choose to hold a grudge or you can choose to stay away or you can choose to be healed. If you've had hurt in your life, and especially church hurt, you can choose to be healed. And some of you would say, well, Chad, that's great. That's what I want. But it's easier said than done. How does it happen? Maybe you're your expression is, I choose to heal, but now what? <laughs> if, that, if that's what I want to do, how do I do it? Real quick as we wrap up, let me just kind of move with you through a few things that I see in what Paul writes to the church in Corinth that are important for us if we want to be healed. Number one, we have to learn from the past. If you want to be healed, 
I would encourage you, learn from the past. If you have some time, go back and read chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, and in those first 13 verses, Paul does a comparison. He compares the church in Corinth, like the, the, the people that he's writing to, that'd be like you and me, he compares them to the people of God in the book of Exodus and the story that happens thousands of years before in the Old Testament. And here's what he says to them. He says, when they were disappointed, when they were frustrated, when they felt like God had not been right with them, they began to make these decisions and they chose to sin and they chose to give in to temptation. And what happened was because of those frustrations and those disappointments, they were destroyed. And what he says to them is, learn from their mistakes. When we walk through frustrating seasons, when we deal with disappointment, those are times when we need to be sure to learn. We can learn from disappointment so we will be ready to receive blessing. We can learn from disappointment so we will be ready to receive blessing. And and the reality of this, kind of learning and thinking about it, caused me to go, oh man, Not just do I realize that some people have been hurt in other churches, but I'm sure there's people who have been hurt in this church. Let's make it even a little more personal. Some of you have known church hurt. I'm sure there's people who have known Chad hurt. There's been times when I've had to go to people and say, look, I, I know that I hurt you, and I need to ask you to forgive me. There's also been times when I'm sure I've hurt people and maybe I didn't even know. Like there's a reality to this, friends, that when we walk through this hurt, it's a time where we need to learn. As I was like praying and getting ready for today and stuff, even, even first thing this morning, I just felt like, man, something's missing from this message. Like, like I, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that feeling when you just know, like, there's something else that God wants out of this message, but I couldn't figure out, like, like what it was in my thoughts, and so I was just kind of getting ready this morning. It was early, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of hustling. I've got this sermon on my mind, which you can imagine that this is a little bit different than knowing the ark and Daniel and the lion's den. Like, it's not the easiest sermon anybody's ever preached, right? You know, it's, it's kind of heavy stuff. You, you all look either, like, really heavy with this or really heavy with sleep. It's one or the other right now, you know? So I'm thinking this whole thing through. I'm in a hurry. I'm running a little bit late. I'm trying to get ready. Here's something that's happened to me. Since I turned about 40, my eyebrows have become very unruly. <laughs> anybody else relate to that? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so a couple years ago, Rhonda decided to help me out, and she got me one of these little trimmer things. This is true confession here. You're going to love me in five minutes still, right? Right? Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you what life's like at the Gilligan's. So Rhonda got me one of these little trimmer things, and she basically said, you need help, and this will help you. So every so often, I just kind of look in the mirror, and I see these eyebrows doing their thing, and I'm like, all right, boys, today's the day. You're coming under dominion right now, okay? I'm gonna take every thought and my eyebrows captive. So that's, that's what we do. So I've got this thing and it's got, you know, it's got the little trimmer thing on it and then it comes with like this little comb that goes on top of it so that you can kind of like that, you know, and, and take charge of this thing. Anybody else got one of these? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like some, some of you are like, I ain't raising my hand, but yeah, I got one. Like it's just, it's all right. We're all friends here and it's just, life and if you're 25 your day's coming so all right it's, this is how it works so this morning i look in the mirror i'm getting ready and i'm like oh boys today's the day <laughs> nobody wants to see that we got to fix that thing right so a couple weeks ago the trimmer i had went on the fritz like it stopped working 
So I said to Rhonda, hey, when you're out, do you mind just grab me another, like 10 bucks, grab me another one of these little eyebrow trimmer things. So she was at TJ Maxx and brought this home and a lot of other stuff. And um, <laughs> so I've used this like once, maybe twice so far. So this morning, it's different from my last one because the one I had before just sat in the drawer and it always had the little comb on it. Well, this one came with this fancy like protective like, you know, thing that the cover kind of thing that protects it. So this morning, without thinking, I just pulled the cover off and I just took this bad boy and started going after my eyebrow. And I kind of started going, like, ow, that hurt. That like really, I did something wrong. That like really hurt. And then I went back at it again. And it's the second time I realized I'm taking chunks out of my eyebrows, <laughs> right? Because I was using the, 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 the thing part without the thing part. You know what I mean, right? So, so I had to put the comb on it because here I am, but I'm so focused and I'm thinking about this sermon and I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to figure out what I got to do. And I'm just kind of plowing through and I'm so focused on what I'm doing that I fail to realize I'm actually hacking away at my own body. <laughs> How often do we do that in the church? That we're so focused on ourselves and what we're doing that we fail to recognize how much damage we might be doing to the body of Christ. Because I say words that just aren't thought through real well. Or I do an action, maybe not even intentionally, that somehow demeans you. And you come to me and you're just looking for somebody to listen. But I'm too busy to stop and encourage you and maybe even pray with you. And I'm so focused on what I've got to do that I end up hacking away at the body of Christ and I never even realize it. Friends, we've got to realize that we have the ability to encourage others and we have the ability to hurt others. So at some point, we have to learn from the past. Second, if you're dealing with church hurt, it may be time for you to think forward. It may be time for you to think forward, not be stuck in that place anymore, but how do I move my life forward? Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Here's what he says. I said this last week, so I'm not gonna say it today. But sometimes you just have to grow up. Oh, there I said it. <laughs> sometimes you have to decide, I'm gonna move past this thing in my life. You have to stop focusing on the past hurt and start thinking about present healing and future life. How do I move past this place and move on to the place where God would have for me to be? Maybe it's that you stop thinking about this thing. Maybe it's that you start praying for the person that hurt you. But somehow you have to move past that. Does anybody ever, like if you get a scab, does anybody ever pick at their scabs? Anybody? Like, you just, I don't know why, it's just it's kind of there, and you're just going, like, oh, I'm going to pick at this thing, and the scab's there. Now, we know that that's not the right thing to do. The right thing to do is just kind of leave it alone and let it heal. But what do we do a lot of times? We've got to pick at that scab, kind of get that scab off of there. Some of you are even this kind of person that when you pick at that scab, and then it starts to bleed a little bit, you're like, oh, I'm getting a new scab. <laughs> you kind of like that a little bit. And you end up holding on to that hurt. The problem is scabs leave scars. And the more you mess with that thing, the more you keep picking at that thing, the more likely you are to have hurt that's not going to heal. There comes a point where you just have to go, I need to leave that in the past and move forward. Now, look, I understand sometimes it's a process. And you can't expect to be healed like that. It's okay if it takes time. 
It's okay if you need help, if you've gotta talk to a friend or a pastor or a professional. It's okay if you're not healed right now. What I'm concerned about is if you're not healing right now. Like if you're not on that journey, if you're not in that process, which is why I say this third thing, and Paul takes a lot of time to talk about this. You have to take responsibility for yourself. I know a lot of people that when you talk to them about hurt in their lives, especially even spiritual hurt, they're quick to say, well, my uncle or my pastor or my friend or this sister or this brother, this person hurt me in some way. And instead of trying to move forward from where they're stuck, they go back and they blame somebody else. When you read um, verses 24 through 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what Paul says. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beat in the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, your spiritual de development, your spiritual health, your spiritual health is your responsibility. It's nobody else's. You are responsible for your own spiritual health to which you say, Chad, how can I move forward? Because you, you just told me today that people could hurt me. Why would I want to be a part of the church if at times it's messed up? Why would I want to put myself in a place where it might happen to me again? You and I are privileged to live in Northwest Ohio, and it is mid-November, which means the leaves have fallen and the snow is falling. And soon, along the beautiful shores of Lake Erie, as you sojourn the Anthony Wayne Trail, you will begin to watch potholes blossom right before your tires, <laughs> right? It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And we, we, can, we can be upset about it. We'll say unkind things about it. But the more you drive around here, it's going to happen with freezes and thaws. We're going to get potholes, right? You can't do anything about it. So what I've had to learn is when I, those potholes come my way, I've had to learn don't stare at them <laughs> or you'll end up in them. When the potholes come your way, you figure out how to get around them. But what I don't do is I don't sit at home and go, oh, I don't drive from November to April because there might be potholes. <laughs> Instead, I say, how do I get out there and be able to stay on the road with, with wheels that are gonna continue to function? How do I get around those things? Maybe even, I might even be one of the people that go, how do I do something about it? Like, how do I help it make it better? Is there somebody that I have to talk to? Do I report this? Is there something that I can do? But you don't say, I won't drive just because there's potholes. But too many people say, I won't go to church because church might mess me up. When instead we should say, how do I, when I know that there might be challenges, know to stay away from those challenges and find a way to help to make my church a healthier place? How do I continue to grow spiritually? But well, the answer is not to say, oh, I'll just stay at home because I might hit a spiritual pothole. The answer is, how do I keep moving forward in my life in a healthy way? You have to take responsibility for your own spiritual health. And please know this, this is essential for you to see. Just because a church or a person failed you, that does not mean that God failed you. Just because somebody else does, doesn't mean that God did. 
What it means is that somebody else in some way missed God's best. They failed God, and you ended up in the, in, in the spillover of that. Look, please know this. Church is a gathering of imperfect people serving a perfect Savior. That's you and I. Church is a gathering of imperfect people serving a perfect Savior. Let's just take a real, uh, real quick assessment, real quick quiz. Raise your hand if you're sitting next to an imperfect person. That's really awkward, isn't it? <laughs> Some of you are going to have to talk about this later. But it's the reality. And just because a church or a person failed you, that doesn't mean that God failed you. So if you want to be healed, here's the last thing I challenge you with. Number four, go to the healer. Because you can't do it on your own. The only place that you're going to find healing in your life is through Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul said it, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. When he got to Corinth, he said, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know that the most important thing, Paul says, is not you and it's not me, it's Jesus. It's all about him. And we might fail one another, but he'll never fail us. And his love is so perfect that he died on a cross for our sins. Some of you need to know this, that he paid the price so that where you need forgiveness or where you need to extend forgiveness to someone else, that can be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he rose from the dead so you and I don't have a dead religion. We have a religion that's alive and a savior who's alive. And when we come to him, he can bring restoration in our lives. There's so much more to this than just the places where we fail each other. Please know this, it is not fair to judge a perfect savior based on an imperfect church please don't throw god out just because some person failed you it is not fair to judge a perfect savior based on an imperfect church the reality is i don't want you to judge me based on other people i don't want you to consider me just based on others named gilligan does that make sense like if you Google my name, Chad Gilligan, here's what you'll find. There's a professional golfer, there's a drug dealer, there's a pedophile, and there's a pastor in Toledo. <laughs> I hope you don't judge me based on other people with the same name. And there are times when you just need to separate how sometimes God's people fail us from the fact that he's called us to be his people the problem is we make church about so many other things. We make it about ourselves. We make it about our experiences. We make it about the things that have happened to us or our own agendas when the reality is the point of it all, the point of the church is to know Jesus and to help others to know him. At the end of the day, it is all about Jesus. And healing begins when we stop looking at others and we stop looking at ourselves and we choose to look to him. But just before we're done, one, one, one quick story. John chapter five, there's this story there of Jesus. He's in Jerusalem, and watch what happens. John chapter five, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? 
interesting story because this pool of Bethesda, there was this legend that said that there would be times when an angel would come and stir the water and that when they did, whoever was the first person to fall in or jump in that pool would be healed. So that's why blind people and lame people and those that were sick would come and they'd sit there because they'd be sitting there just waiting for that water to stir so they could get in. So Jesus asks what to you and I seems like a really silly question. Do you want to get well? Well, of course he does. He's been like this for 38 years. And he's sitting here waiting for the water. Watch what he says though, verse seven. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. It's interesting how he responds because he, he, he's, he's quick to kind of put the blame on some other people or he's quick to talk about his limitations. So Jesus asks him a question. He says, do you want to get well? It seems like a silly question to ask in the physical. But start thinking about it in some other ways. What would it mean if he got well? It would mean he'd have to go get a job. It would mean he'd have to take on some responsibilities he didn't have when he was just sitting there. It means he'd be able to spend Thanksgiving with his whole family, good and bad. <laughs> it means that that healing was going to require something from him. Sometimes it's easier for us to just stay in our pain. Sometimes it's easier for us to just stay in our limitations. Some of us like our hurt. And when we ask that question, do you really want to be well? We have to wrestle with that for ourselves. Jesus asked him, and I think Jesus asks you today, do you really want to be well? Do you really want to move past this hurt in your life? Verse 8, and Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Jesus asked him the question, he had to wrestle with his pain, and when Jesus gave him the opportunity, he had to choose to receive that healing from the only one who could heal him. And the same is true for some of us today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would, please. And I want you to know that Jesus is willing to heal, but you have to be willing to receive it. Be willing to say, I, I'm, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to make this next move and recognize that Jesus is your healer. We're going to sing a song. It's kind of a classic. It's called The Heart of Worship. And the, and the main line in here says, it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. And so in these next few moments, I'm going to ask you not to focus on your past, but I'm going to ask you to focus on your future. And whether you've been hurt by a church or you've been hurt by a family member, or you've been hurt by somebody else, to be able to say, Jesus, I entrust this to you. Jesus, I look to you. Father, as we come to you in these next few moments, we make this song our prayer, that we wouldn't make it about us and that we wouldn't make it about our past, but we would recognize that you are the one who's our healer. Lord, for the one who has had very legitimate disappointment and frustration, the church has messed them up. God, I pray that in this moment, you would remind them, Jesus, that it's all about you, that our hope, our confidence would be in you, and that you'd bring healing to us in these moments as we sing this song of prayer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come Thank you.
expectations we couldn't live up to, maybe hurt because we saw hypocrisy or inconsistencies, Father, maybe even something that happened in a church, and Lord, we've chosen that we're asking you to heal us, but it starts when we look to you, God, it's all about you, Holy Spirit, would you work healing in our lives? some of us, may today be that very first step towards you. As we look to you, Jesus, thank you, God, for your love and your grace that's being extended even right now in this moment in our lives. In Jesus' name.